Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is that you are listening today. This is the New Standard Podcast. I am your host. My name is Neil Kulong. I am the senior editor in charge of USA Today Sports Media Group. You'll notice that I am here alone today. That is because Lance Williams, the fearless leader of the New Standard, is out on assignment again this morning. I am, as usual, not allowed any details, but my connection within the CIA said that he is somewhere safe right now. So players, prayers and best wishes to Lance um, out on assignment today. It's going to be me today, but that's going to be good. I've got a, a lot of good stuff here that I want to go over. Later on in the show, we are going to have Mr. Glenn Irby, the managing editor of the Eagles Wire, on to discuss with us uh, the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles coming off of a bye uh, perhaps the best team in the NFC, one of the best teams in the NFL. A lot of Steelers connections, a lot of Pittsburgh connections on that Eagles team, the crosstown, cross-state <laughs> cross rivals that uh, are getting the job done, whereas on the western side of the state, that is currently not what's happening right now, whether it's um, Eagles versus Steelers, slight advantage to the Eagles, Phillies versus Pirates, slight advantage to the Phillies. Everyone's going to tell me the Penguins over the Flyers. I assume that's still the case. I'm not a big hockey guy. Um, I do know, and I have been taught well enough by you, Yens, that uh, Flyers suck at just about everything, and that's a good thing, right? We're excited about that. We are excited today to dive into Steelers football. I want to touch on a little bit some uh, closing thoughts on Monday or uh, Sunday nights. Uh, Difficult loss to the Dolphins, a team that played about as up and down as one could. In, in retrospect, uh, it, I should say in review of that game, I think the Steelers uh, accomplished a lot of what they would have wanted to accomplish at, in, at the bigger picture level. In other words, over four quarters, you hit these checkpoints. They had to feel fairly good. Uh, about their chances to compete late in the game. And that really seems to be what the Steelers try to do. Um, they're not going to blow anybody out. They simply don't have uh, the the playmaking ability on offense in particular to do that. The playmakers that they have are on defense. And that is, uh, according to Mike Tomlin, at least, a large part of what really let them down Sunday night. Uh, I counted four dropped interceptions, two of which by Cam Sutton, who played his best game of the season otherwise. Um, maybe two by Terrell Edmonds. It really kind of depends on uh, how you want to classify that. But the fact of the matter was there were four uh, turnover-worthy plays. The Steelers were uh, unable to convert on all of them, which brings us uh, largely to one defense versus another in that game. I felt the Steelers, uh, a team that is going to need to live and die by its defense, got most of the job done except very similar to their offensive counterparts, they lack the big plays that they needed. They're not getting consistent pressure on any quarterback that they go up against, and they're not uh, forcing as many turnovers as you think they would. And the scary thing is they've left a lot of turnovers on the table so far this year. I think this defense statistically um, is not it's not showing what they really could and maybe ought to be at this point in the season. They've left a lot of plays out there and some of it to me is pressure based. And the first thing you're going to look at for that is the absence of TJ Watt player who's expected to come back by uh, what is that week 10 
Um, they play Philadelphia, then a bye week, and Watt is supposed to return versus the Saints uh, following the bye, which will be a, a, a welcome addition to the Steelers team, a player that they have largely not had to this point this season. Um, <clears throat> that will help as far as the pressure goes, but it really seems like teams, <coughs> excuse me, teams have been able to get around uh, Pittsburgh's uh, ability to make, or I should say lack of ability to make plays on the ball. And they have the opportunities. They've wasted a lot of those opportunities. And I feel like that was a main point, uh, a main takeaway from Sunday night. It's hard to discuss this team for an extended period of time without bringing up the fact that they uh, simply are I think after Monday night's performance by the Chicago Bears, the worst offense in the NFL. I don't think that that's hyperbole. I don't think that that's unfair. And I don't think that there is an enormous amount of value to trying to figure out who is to blame for that. The reality is much more interesting in my mind. I can't tell you exactly again whose fault is what. I don't think that that is necessarily relevant. I can point some fingers to you if you'd like what we know is it's bleak it's about as bleak as we have seen it in pittsburgh in the relative lifespan of just about everybody who's listening to this pittsburgh right now is 30th 30th after three games with under 300 yards a game they are averaging 298.6 only the titans and the lowly carolina panthers who things have gotten so bad for them they have fired their coach they have gotten rid of their most expensive player. They have benched their quarterback. It can't get worse than the Carolina Panthers. And the fact that the Steelers are really not that far from that and have not done anything dramatic um, to address any of those, except with the exception of uh, the quarterback change, you're in a tough spot. Uh, the Steelers are second to last in scoring in the NFL. 15.3 points per game. 15.3 points a game. They lead only the absolute dumpster fire that is the Denver Broncos and arguably uh, the worst coach that we have seen since Urban Meyer last year. Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos not able to capitalize on just about anything are a full point worse a game than the Steelers. So you put those two things together and you're, you're looking at a, a very bleak picture offensively. Kenny Pickett is, if he's not, I'm going to dig this up, if he is not the leader in in interceptions at this point in the season, he is certainly in the top five. And the worst part is those who are on the level that he is have played twice as much as he has. There are some interceptions in there that one might write off as not being as valuable. There are interceptions in there that are really poor decisions um and some are really poor decisions coupled with really bad throws kenny pickett to this point has has he's searched the entire gambit of ways to give the ball away uh while throwing it to another team he's not the only reason they are averaging 15 points a game and under 300 yards a game he is a compelling factor in that there's no way around that the steelers are getting very poor play out of their quarterback position. And it's to the point now where you're starting to hear um, Steelers receivers openly defying and openly questioning and challenging what 
they are doing exactly on uh, the offensive side of the ball. Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool, I think, um, is is among the leaders of that as far as uh, locker room comments, different things that he has said. He has been vocal about this lately. Um, I'm not sure if Claypool is necessarily the first guy that you're going to think of as far as uh, what the Steelers offense can and can't do, but you, you can't you can't argue with this this quote from um, Claypool following the loss to the Dolphins on Monday on Sunday. I keep saying Monday, Sunday night football <clears throat> from Claypool. I just think we need more go balls. Like, damn, not enough go balls. We've got playmakers. I haven't had a go ball all year. George needs more. Deontay needs more. I'm not saying that's on the play calling. I'm just saying we need to try to find a way to scheme it up. I have been perhaps the most vocal critic of Claypool to this point, this season, last season. I don't think anybody has has identified the issue and the solution as clearly and as articulately as Claypool does in, in this quote. It's not about the play calling. It's about trying to scheme it up. What he means by that is Sunday night, we've got the plays already. The order in which you're calling them, certainly it's a factor. What I would challenge, though, is why aren't they doing more during the week to get those plays inserted into their game plan so they are there to call? Um, I believe Pickett had one deep pass early on, which was the typical, we're going to throw it up down the sideline to somebody and see if he can make a play. I believe that was two Pickens. Not a great throw. He didn't come down with it. They're called 50-50 balls for a reason. I think Pickens, with more opportunity, will come down with more of those than he won't. But when he's the only one that you're looking to do that with, you get into what Claypool is saying. He hasn't gotten a go ball all year. And, and for reference sake, what he means by a go ball is just a fly route. Go downfield. They're going to throw it deep to you. Go up and make a play. Um, scheming that open is a matter of using uh, other receivers, including your, your tight ends and your running backs, to distract the defense or to confuse them while somebody can can get down the seam or outside the numbers open um, for a good throw, for a higher percentage throw. That, to me, is really what's lacking. The deep throws we've seen of the Steelers, they've had two of them to, to Miles Boykin, who's doing everything he can to look just like Johnny Holton at this point in his career. Uh, he has one route, and he has one route only. This is the only thing that he's doing that or he's on the field to go into motion to go behind the quarterback to push him forward but he doesn't stop and get set uh drawing a penalty thus negating a first down those of you who remember that play uh i hope are as annoyed and agitated about it as i am miles boykin can be a go route receiver he's a big guy um he's there to be a gunner on the punt team and he's pretty good at it to be honest, I, I see his value. I question why you wanted to pay him $3 million to do that, but all right, that's fine. If he's going to be the deep threat in your offense, you're going to look just like the Steelers did back in 2019 when it was Johnny Holton who ran, I believe, nine consecutive go routes without catching the ball. And that wasn't on him. It, throws were bad. He wasn't open. Whatever it was, it, it wasn't set up. It wasn't schemed up, okay? That's what Clay, Claypool is saying in his quote. I'm not saying it's on the play calling. I am saying we need to try to find a way to scheme it up. We need to set our guys up more. One issue that I have had with Matt Canada's offense 
um, to this point, and that includes last year, was the lack of uh, route progression, the lack of intelligent route concepts, combo routes, option routes. One problem with that is you had a brand new quarterback who didn't know the receivers who started the year. Now you have a rookie quarterback who doesn't really know the receivers any better uh, playing. The amount of option routes you can run with the amount of receivers that they're putting on the field is going to be somewhat limited. So let's be fair and say that Matt Canada, to some degree, has a bit of a disadvantage versus, say, Joe Burrow, who's been working with his receivers for three years. Uh, they've been working with him for at least two. They have their offense down. They know what they're looking at and looking for. The Steelers don't have that advantage right now, and that's not going to be a strong advantage by the end of the year. Part of the reason why you want to keep uh, Pickett in the game now is to let him continue to build that rapport with the receivers. When a receiver has an option route, <clears throat> what they're doing is getting down the field and they're reading the coverage. The coverage is going to dictate what they do. So it's not Matt Canada said run a, a post. They're down the field based on the safety, based on the, the closest cover corner, based on the depth of the linebacker. They're going to go somewhere. And the quarterback has to read what the receiver is reading as well. The quarterback has to do that with three, maybe four receivers down the field. That's really hard to process all of that and to know that. You have to know things backwards and forwards. It's a lot to ask a rookie to be able to step in right away and do that. So let's throw option routes out. Combo routes. This is something Todd Haley did quite a bit when he was in charge, and it was largely to set up Antonio Brown. He put him on the twin side. He put him in motion. He did a lot of different things uh, to get Antonio Brown, one, a free release off the line of scrimmage, and two, have something to get the defense to force one way or another. And then when you have a really smart quarterback on top of it, he's going to go with what the best option is uh, on that particular play. I don't think the Steelers offense has a great opportunity to do a lot of those things. But at the same time, if, if Claypool is pointing out here, as he does in this quote, I'm just saying we need to try to find a way to scheme it up. Kick over some more rocks. You've got to find something. Right now, they're all independent of each other. They're not running routes in concert with one another. They're not using the entire field and the entire depth to do what they do. In fact, the main thing that they're doing is throwing to the flats from anywhere from negative two to plus seven outside the numbers. Not only are they not going deep, they're not challenging anything across the middle of the field. They're not challenging down the seam. They're not running posts. It, all of these things help generate it, not just more offense, but more stuff for an opponent to look at uh, to get confused by, and that opens up, theoretically, more opportunities to be able to move the ball at a higher degree than what they're doing right now. There was another quote that was in here um, at some point. I'm not finding it, but it was in regards to, I believe Claypool said it as well, when you have to go 10, 11, 12, yard, 12 plays in order to score points, you're going the long way. The Steelers seem content to play it like that there's kind of a, a, a rule of diminishing return with all of this though the more plays that you're running the harder it is to keep gaining that four or five yard piece that you need each of those times in order to get down the field eventually 
you're going to have a penalty. With this offensive line, you're probably going to have a penalty. Eventually, you're going to give up a sack. Again, with this offensive line, it's likely that you're, you're going to run into that problem. Um, or you're going to have, as Lance and I have referred to Najee Harris, as a Clemente game, 2-1, 2-1, 2-1 from your running back. You're not going anywhere. You end up setting up third and, and long, and you're not going to complete 95% of your third and longs. You know, to, to put it mildly, that's not going to happen. So they need to find a way to orchestrate bigger plays and not just count on throw it short, get it to the receiver on the move, and have him run, have him make a play after the catch. All due respect to Claypool, Deontay Johnson, to this point for how they're using George Pickens, these guys are not making plays after the catch. Continuing to ask them to do that, but not have something schemed up for them to be able to take advantage of whatever space they may or probably don't have, you're not going to get anywhere with it. The Steelers offensively right now, complete and total dumpster fire. It, it's as bad, in my opinion, this is as bad as we've ever seen in offense. And it was a pretty dreadful offense uh, for the first half of the season when Todd Haley took over back in um, 2012. Not a good start. Eventually they got some things going, but that wasn't really all that good of a team either. Um, I think that's really where they are. I don't think that Matt Canada is long for the position that he's in. Uh, we got a bye week next week. Maybe we'll talk about some uh, potential replacements or ideas or schemes or things that the Steelers might want to look at. Uh, kind of tough to do when you're in the moment like that. So, um, again, this is the New Standard Podcast. My name is Neil Kulong. I am hosting this morning. Co-host, founder, inspiration. Lance Williams is out on assignment, according to him in the Bay Area, searching for Najee's juice. So he might not be around for a while. Stay warm, Lance. I hope you packed a snack, towel, some sunscreen, because you're never getting off that beach. You don't know where his juice is. Glenn Irby of the Eagles Wire is going to be joining us here in a little bit. Um, he is the managing editor of Eagles Wire, has been running that great site for a couple of years now. Big Philly guy. I know that uh, Pittsburgh people tend to not like Philadelphia. I lived in Philadelphia for uh, a stretch of time earlier in my life. I really enjoyed it. I enjoy Philadelphia fans. Um, I really enjoy what the Eagles are doing right now offensively and defensively. I think they have uh, one of the, the two, three best front offices in the game. I think that's exactly why the Steelers hired Andy Wydell. Uh, as their assistant general manager. He's been with Howie Roseman, who, despite what uh, Eagles fans have been saying about him the last couple of years, I think he's one of the best general managers in football. Does a phenomenal job, and he's a big part of why that team is 6-0 and right now. Um, the Eagles are also a team that is defying the long-held belief by me as well that without a high-powered quarterback with high-level traits, you can maybe catch lightning in a bottle in a season uh, and probably not advance very far because eventually you're going to become stale. You're going to become one-dimensional. A good defense can take away what the one thing a quarterback can do, and then you're left with nothing offensively. Jalen Hurts, to this point, uh, easily one of, the best off one of the best quarterbacks and best offensive players in the NFC. He's proved that. Uh, over six games. He's played uh, remarkably well, very efficient. Uh, he's a good passer. He's a good runner, and he plays within an offensive scheme that 
uh, creates balance between those things. You know, it's funny. He runs what, like 10, 11, 12 times a game. Um, people don't really get after the idea of him getting injured yet. Lamar Jackson runs eight times, eight times a game and he's nothing but a running back and it's <clears throat> not a pocket guy. It's like, all right, you know, I'm not sure you need to be a pure pocket guy. I think athletes are much more plentiful at the college level, uh, certainly at the quarterback position. There is value to a quarterback that simply can gain yards uh, every time the ball is in his hand. Jalen Hurts is that type of player. On top of that, Jalen Hurts is very smart. Um, he is able to beat you in a lot of different ways, and he's very humble about that. He doesn't have to do it his way. He does it the way that a defense is allowing him to do it. And he has been excellent so far. Uh, he is going to be enemy number one for the Steelers come Sunday. The very difficult guy to defend. And they do a phenomenal job. Nick Sirianni is one of the best offensive coaches in the game. They have done a phenomenal job uh, putting him in the best position possible for him to succeed. And they've had success with it. Not a surprise. 6-0 and right now. Their wins over the Lions, 38-35, 24-7 over the Vikings, 24-8 over the Commanders, 29-21 over the Jaguars, 20-17 over the Cardinals, and 26-17 before their bye two weeks ago against the Cowboys. Eclectic opponents. Scores are close. Scores are on paper. They seem relatively close. Uh, if you watched that game against the Vikings 24-7, that was over before halftime. They thoroughly dominated that game. They thoroughly dominated the Cowboys. The Cardinals made it closer than it probably should have been, but the Eagles were crushing them for a period of time. Philadelphia is a team that finds a way to be the best team in football for a quarter or a half each time they play. Very well coached, and there's a ton of talent top to bottom. I think it's reasonable for us to say the Steelers' perhaps most difficult opponent was the AFC Kings, the Buffalo Bills, largely on the speed of the fact that they won 38-3. Uh, that game was over three plays into it. Philadelphia presents more of a schematic challenge than the Bills do. They are much more diverse. They're much deeper. They're a team that doesn't have perhaps the star power that the Bills do, but they have a lot of good players. Uh, there are great players and superstars, and there are good players. Philadelphia has a bunch of good players, probably more good-level players than anybody else in the league. And it shows with the way that they play. They're incredibly balanced. They don't make a ton of mistakes, and they don't let you breathe. It's a team that averages 27 points a game uh, on offense and gives up 16 points a game on defense. That's an incredible margin. Um, I'd imagine that that's among the highest in the NFL to this point. 6-0, first in the NFC East. Um, probably right now, from what we've seen, the, the best team in the NFC. They, they have earned that distinction. Wherever they may fall on a power ranking is kind of irrelevant, but uh, an excellent team. Steelers lost, what, four out of five games, two and five right now. They are not going to be um, a, a playoff team. I think that's safe to say. This is the end of a very difficult four-game stretch of Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Miami on the road, Philadelphia on the road. A stretch that I would have bet they would have been 0-4. Uh, 
they managed to beat a Tampa Bay team that turns out is far worse than we thought that they were. Philadelphia, though, is a legitimate uh, high-level team. They are very good. Uh, they are much more Buffalo than they are Tampa Bay, and they are better than Miami as well. In fact, the real parallel that I noted is Miami, led by Coach Mike McDaniel, had perhaps the best script and the most success on script than any of the Steelers' opponents to this point this season. The script being anywhere from the first 10 to 15 offensive plays are what they have practiced and drilled all week because these are the first things that we are going to do. This is These are going to be the play calls depending on situation to some degree. This is what we want to accomplish right away. And from there, we're going to figure out what works and what doesn't and draw variations off what we've planned to do. They're the root of a game plan on offense. Mike McDaniel did a phenomenal job uh, attacking the Steelers where they were weak to a point where it honestly looked like the Steelers defense had eight players on the field and they were just playing pitch and catch. Um, what's interesting to me is the Dolphins, <clears throat> after that script, after the Steelers came up and, and stopped them cold inside the five-yard line to force a field goal on that second drive, uh, they went up 10 nothing. Miami was mediocre at best after that. The Steelers' defense stepped up. Their game plan didn't work the rest of the way. Credit to the Steelers, as as Chris Collinsworth said during the broadcast, I really like the way he put this, the Steelers are a really difficult team to kill. They aren't all that hard to get a lead on. They're not all that hard to protect the lead. But if you get up on them early, you need to put the, the foot on the throat the way that, that Buffalo did because you're going to have a very tough time keeping them down throughout the entire game. They don't leave. They, they stick around. Um, that isn't necessarily the, the sexiest or the best trait to have as a team, like a team that, you know, can jump ahead of somebody else. And as opposed to it, it's going to take you two interceptions on the final two drives to, to seal a game against Pittsburgh, um, their ability to jump out ahead of somebody is just seemingly non-existent. The Steelers play reasonably well on script. Um, they sometimes get points out of it. We saw it against Tampa Bay. Um, they got things together and put together a decent drive or two in the first half when they were getting just socked in the mouth early against Miami. They rebounded. And I thought they responded fairly well. Philadelphia is probably the best on-script team in the league. If you're betting, I would say, I forget what bet it is or what it's called, but there's something that you can bet first team to 10 points. Uh, I would take that hard with Philadelphia this week. In fact, it'd probably be even money. They really, uh, they're, they're very well coached. They're very deep. They're very versatile. And right now the Steelers seem, it, it seems like they need defensively a, a, a three, four series in order to get warm to keep up with their, their opponent. Um, they lack that, that explosive element off the edge the way that they used to have. They're not getting great pressure on quarterbacks who are throwing to wide open zones. Uh, it, 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 it's a really good matchup for Philadelphia. I'll just say that. I, I think Philadelphia has... Um, I don't want to say an easy job. I don't think there are easy wins in the NFL, but I think that they have um, a, a schematic and depth advantage over Pittsburgh. And I 
perhaps I I don't know if the Steelers have played somebody um, as differing in style to them to this point. And I, I think Philadelphia, um, if, if they want to go all out early, I think this game is going to be pretty one-sided in the first quarter. I won't bet against the Steelers to cover 10 points at the link. As Grayson pointed out, um, I remember those games well. The Steelers don't win in Philadelphia, and they, they've got some memorable ones. Um, really good Steelers teams have gotten there and gotten curb stops. So I, I'm not sure how Pittsburgh is going to survive. Ten points is pretty steep, though, for a team that Pittsburgh just doesn't die. They, they have a way of just being able uh, to throw enough punches to get the ref off and to, to keep the match going um and and last 15 rounds and and lose a decision that's the type of team that they are uh whether that's good or bad i don't know that said um quick program announcement again my name is neil kulong i am the host of the show this morning you were watching and or listening to the new standard podcast co-host lance williams is looking for hometown hero Najee harris's mojo somewhere in the bay area uh, and we all hope and pray lance can be successful in his mission because they need it i didn't even get into the stats of the steelers um rushing i don't even know if we want to do that horrendous running team and have been for a little while now we grossly overrated uh, naji harris's alleged success last season and he's worse this year by a uh, by a noticeable margin. Not good in that regard. I'm trying to pull up their yards per game. If we were to guess, I can't be over 100, right? 87.9, which is about 28th in the NFL. That might be one of their better statistics. Only 28th. They're 210 passing yards per game. Offensive passing yards per game, 210 yards, is about 25th, 24th, somewhere in there. I don't know why they don't number this. It'd be a lot easier. Um, it could be worse, though. The Chicago Bears are on pace to be the worst passing offense in probably 40 years. Uh, 126.3 yards per game through the air. Um, wow, that's miserable. Um the Steelers have plenty of statistical contemporaries at the bottom of the league. If we put the whole thing together, they might not be last, but they are in the bottom three for sure. And they're second to last in scoring, which is the main one. Um, if it wasn't for the disastrous Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson, a quarterback who's literally completed about three passes all year inside the red zone. Uh, without them, they would be dead last in the NFL in points per game. And they're going up against one of the best team defenses in the league. Philadelphia, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. A game that will not be nationally broadcast, I think, for several reasons. Philadelphia coming off of a bye also. Well-coached, talented teams coming off of byes tend to play pretty well. Um, Philadelphia's got most advantages in this game. Not a good situation. Yes, in many ways, Eagles are to the NFC, what the Raiders are to the Steelers in the AFC, uh, a team that lately they just don't beat. <laughs> Not going to happen, um, especially on the road. 
Steelers football Sunday. The Pittsburgh Steelers sitting at two and five at this point. What uh, we look at the Steelers defensively, it's difficult to pull out what we're seeing from them as a team, considering the amount of injuries that they have had on defense. They lost Levi Wallace during the game, who was starting for the injured uh, Kella Witherspoon. James Pierre did not play very much. He was coming off of an injury as well. Cam Sutton, um, who again, I just to, to give him credit, Cam Sutton played a very good game. I really wish he didn't drop that interception. He played very well. He is the only healthy uh, top three cornerback that they have. They're rotating in random players that we've never heard of or seen before. Um, Josh Jackson, wearing number 16, is getting considerable run for the Steelers uh, within their secondary, and he's not exactly lighting the world on fire. The Eagles have, and I think this is the most intriguing matchup of this game, uh, one of the best all-around receivers in the NFL, A.J. Brown, player that they acquired via trade right before the draft. And perhaps, maybe not, maybe not the top, but he is definitely one of my five favorite players in the NFL. I absolutely love AJ Brown's game. Reminds me a lot of a younger, more productive Anquan Bolton. Everything that he can do, uh, he is physical. He is a deep threat. He can go inside. He can go outside. There's not a good matchup for him. Uh, the elite athlete, speed cornerbacks are going to get beaten up by him because he's he's a big dude. Um, the the stronger, thicker, more zone-based cornerbacks are going to have problems with his speed and his quickness. He's a competitor. He's fiery. He's a team leader. Uh, he is on pace, um, and I don't think this is getting talked about enough either. He is on a, a very similar pace to what uh, Tyreek Hill of the Dolphins, a guy the Steelers did a pretty good job of bottling up uh, last week at the price of uh, Jalen Waddle doing a pretty good job. Um, how do you stop A.J. Brown? That's something we are going to get into with Eagles Wire editor Glenn Irby, who should be on here in a little bit. Pretty sure I said 1045 Eastern. Checking to make sure, but as far as A.J. Brown goes, you're looking at truly the player, any route, any speed, anywhere on the field. He's that kind of guy. I don't think, I think he's vastly underrated for it as talented as he is. Um, let's put it this way. And this should probably tick you off pretty good as Steelers fans. The Baltimore Ravens got a pick that wasn't all that much lower in value um, for Marquise Hollywood Brown than the Eagles were able to give to Tennessee in order to acquire A.J. Brown. Nobody with any sense or any insight into how the wide receiver position is played could possibly say that Hollywood Brown is anywhere close to A.J. Brown's level. Not even close. Um, the fact the Ravens pulled that off, I'm still shaking my head. That's just unbelievable. Good for them. Is I, I can't imagine they thought very long about that. It was like, um, okay, <laughs> that's really what you want to do, Arizona. We'll take it. Um, that is an Arizona front office and coaching staff that is not going to be retained this offseason. 
in my opinion. A.J. Brown is dominant for the Eagles at this point. Um, very similar to what he was in Tennessee in, in a more run-based attack. Uh, he is a player that can stretch the field, that can be a possession uh, weapon for you. And he is the primary target for um, Jalen Hurts. He's got 53 targets through his six games right now. He is averaging an outstanding 15.2 yards a catch on 53 targets, 33 catches, um, 84 yards per game. Yards after catch, he has 217. I'd be willing to bet that that is more than the entire Steelers receiving group combined. Um, he is a weapon. He is versatile. He can do anything. And a lot of that is helped by the fact that Devontae Smith, the slim reaper, um, incredible receiver coming into his own. Uh, if he was playing with a bigger arm quarterback, you would see him doing a lot of things. Excellent pairing of receivers. Maybe one of the best in the game. Maybe the best in the game. Add in tight end South Dakota State product Dallas Goddard. We hate the Jacks. We're pro buys in here, but Goddard was a, a, an excellent player at the FCS level and an even better pro from what I've seen. He's really come into his own um, excellent three-down tight end. One of the best all-around tight ends in the game. He's adding 26 catches, 357 yards, 13.7 yards a catch for the Eagles tight end. To put that into contrast, as my screen is frozen, to put that into contrast, Pat Fryermuth, even with a, a game down, and I would imagine it was similar to Fryermuth last season, and it's been similar for Steelers tight ends for, for quite some time. Fryermuth is averaging 11.1 yards uh, a catch, which is definitely up for where they usually are. But Chase Claypool, 9.5 yards a catch. Deontay Johnson, 8.9 yards per catch. Then King George, George Pickens, 13 yards a catch. Zach Gentry, Steelers' backup tight end, who catches a lot of inside screens, 8.1 yards per catch. Philadelphia is the team that has the alleged quarterback that can't throw the ball deep down the field. What do the Eagles do? They scheme up ways to get their receivers open. They scheme up ways to get guys in space where they can catch the ball and get upfield. Matt Canada has done a terrible job of that to this point uh, with the Steelers offense. And like I had mentioned earlier in the show, Chase Claypool is now at a point where he's basically calling him out uh, publicly. They need to do a lot uh, in order to give guys better opportunities uh, to make plays down the field. Their numbers are terrible. And Philadelphia's are the stark opposite of that. I, I think that's the difference. Uh, they have a much better coordinated offense. Um, <clears throat> add in big playmakers like Miles Sanders. The Steelers have seen Miles Sanders before, uh, certainly in and around Pittsburgh and the WPIAL. But um, against them as well, I believe he had big run that, that uh, highlighted an Eagles comeback a couple of years ago. They almost won that game. Um, largely on the strength of Sanders and his big playability. 485 yards on 105 carries for Sanders so far this season. That's uh, 4.6 yards a carry, four touchdowns, 80 yards a game on relatively low um, carries. Steelers rushing, if we even want to know, 100 carries, so very similar. 329 yards for Najee Harris, 3.3 yards a carry. No big runs, which is 20-plus. 
a long of 16 and an average of 47 yards a game. And Najee's getting the ball plenty. Um, their receivers are, well, basically everybody with the exception of, ironically, Mitch Trubisky is better per carry than Najee Harris has been. How do these teams match up against each other? I think overall um, advantages to Philadelphia in pretty much every area. I feel former Steelers defensive lineman, Javon Hargrave, who's kind of being used, and this was something I wanted to ask Glenn about. Um, he's kind of being used in a similar fashion to how uh, Fletcher Cox was when Hargrave was first acquired by the Eagles. Now Hargrave is turning into more of that veteran while um, we are seeing the young and excellent defensive tackle that the uh, that the Eagles were able to draft along with trading the draft pick that they did. Um, Jordan Davis is, is coming into his own as a player. Great things coming for that kid um, as his career progresses. But uh, fortunately, to bail me out here, We've got Eagles Wire editor, the great Glenn Irby, joining us. Thanks for coming on, Glenn. How are you? Appreciate you having me on. I've been waiting for this moment, low-key, quietly. You know, you got the, the the Phillies pullover on. You remind me kind of Jordan Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan Howard. Ryan Howard. Very prideful. Very prideful thing going on in the city. Yeah, I bet. I bet. There's nothing. Be- Honestly, I, I was in Philadelphia uh, 2007, 2008. Okay. Uh, when the Phillies were were good back then, um, playoff push and everything like that. It, it's it's a new environment there when when their teams are winning. It's a lot of fun. There, there's a lot of investment. It's very similar to Pittsburgh in that regard. Do you do you miss it out there at all? What what do you think about this time of the year when you're seeing this much success there? I'm a <clears> bit <throat> bit jealous, but I think um, I think they talk. We talk so much about the Eagles, but I think this city is at its loudest or at its most tight when the Phillies are doing well. So I think, you know, everything is Eagles this and Eagles that, but when the Phillies are, are doing well and the Phillies are in the playoffs, the city like ratchets up another notch. So from that standpoint, I kind of miss it. I don't necessarily miss probably the traffic, the, the pole climbing and everything that comes with the wins, but just, I guess, like the, the first hour or two after those wins, yeah, I miss that. But in terms of the, the quiet and comfort I get here, I don't miss anything about Philly at all. There you go. I hear you. I hear you. Um, answer me this, Glenn. Tell me if I'm I'm way off on my assessment. Okay. You're the great football mind, certainly uh, certainly greater than mine. It, when I watch Philadelphia, I see a team that, that is about as balanced as any other in the league. Um, I don't know how much hype goes into a term like superstar, but okay. you don't see the superstars on the Eagles. What you do see is good players at pretty much every position they're they're as deep as any team in the league they can do anything is is this team in your mind a, a, a legitimate super bowl contender or are, are we not talking about them enough is that why you're not seeing the the hype that philadelphia is is uh, really not generating at this point no they're, they're legit super bowl contender i think the quarterback is not your typical justin herbert uh, Aaron Rodgers style quarterback. So I think that's where you get the pushback. Uh, even though you, you see in a situation in the league where a lot of teams are transitioning to a dual threat quarterback because it buys that offense a little bit more time. I think 
even though they're six and zero and he's won nine straight games, he's still the question mark. But I think from the standpoint of being able to go 12 deep at offensive line, or if you lose a tackle or a guard, you're going to plug the guy in the system. The system's going to continue. They're, they're, they're complete. I think from the wide receiver standpoint, you'd like to see the third and fourth wide receiver get more involved in case, you know, not Devontae Smith or something happens to A.J. Brown. But I think Dallas Goddard makes up for that. The running backs make up for that. So it becomes a situation where you can kind of put a running back anywhere, put a tight end anywhere. You could do anything you want because that offensive line is so dominant and it can dictate pace to everything. I want Steelers fans to pay attention to that. The, the problem in Philadelphia is the production from their third and fourth wide receiver. If we can define what a Cadillac problem is better than that, I don't know what it is. <laughs> must be great. The Steelers don't have an idea how to get the best player of the ball. Um, it, it, two teams going in very different directions, Glenn, and I'm, I'm kind of bitter about it in case you didn't figure it out. I, I want to talk about Hurts a little bit, though. What okay. the, the success that he's having – Within their scheme, I hate I, I hate the concept of a quote game manager. I think all that means is people don't like his fantasy production. They don't know what goes into it. Hertz's numbers are outstanding, Correct. outstanding. They're vastly better than anything Pittsburgh has seen for years. Sixty six point eight completion, eight point two yards a catch. Okay, that's massive. Eight point two yards a catch. Um, the two interceptions probably drives his ratings down and he doesn't have the, the amount of touchdowns because they can run the ball. Correct. Now they're not a 35 point a game scoring team, but Hertz is a lot better than he's being given credit for. Isn't he? He is. I think, you know, we talked about game managing, but part of the managing the game is to not mess it up or, or F it up as they say. So he gets a lot of credit for, you know, something Carson Wentz and other quarterbacks couldn't do is where he avoids the negative play. So there's, it's rarely a time where there's a, a second and 15, third and 14, third and nine or something like that. So regardless of what they're going to do, there's going to be a positive play. You have a situation where it's a, you know, some people call it a college offense. You can call it whatever you want, but he's, they're going to RPO you. They're going to tell you what they're going to do. They're going to read your defensive end or your linebacker, or whoever wants to be the star on defense. And then they're going to go from there. And then after they RPO you to death, they're just going to drop the slant to Devontae Smith on the back end or hit Dallas Goddard coming across. And there's not much you can do because if you go to stop the pass, and then they're just going to give the ball to Miles Sanders and Trey Sermon and Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell, and it keeps and it continues and it goes on and on. What Philadelphia does in a lot of ways is what I I think Pittsburgh was trying to do or is trying to build to that. The difference is the quarterback that they have is is vastly better at it than either Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. Let's let's dig into the RPO piece of this though, because okay. you, you, I, I think you explained it very well. I want to put it into the context of this game though. Who do you think Hertz is going to be looking at as far as um, a, a tell linebacker or safety as far as what they want to do in an RPO situation? Do you think one Eagles player is going to eat in this game? Is there one of them that, that's going to have nine grabs for 130 with a touchdown? Do you, do you think this is the type of game for that within an RPO structure? For sure. I think it'll be the guy that Mika Fitzpatrick can't cover and the guy he's not covering. So if you have a situation where you want to play in deep, I think you'll see Miles. I mean, you'll see Dallas Goddard have a big game. I think the guy that they'll play off will be Hayward. And even though he's a, a, a down lineman defensive end, they're, they're going to, you know, stick the ball in Miles Sanders or, or Kenneth Gainwell's stomach. And whatever he chooses to do, they'll go from there. So if Hayward crashes down on the running back, Hurts is going to keep the ball if he 
choose just to step outside, prevent Hurts from going outside, he's going to give the ball up. If they do both, he's going to throw the ball. So I think it's a situation where every play, the Eagles are going to walk up to the line with two or three options, regardless of what down it is and what play it is. To this point, I'm bringing this up for context. Jordan Davis was a player that um, some people saw uh, potentially falling to Pittsburgh at 20. I think it was more a a, a situation of Steelers fans not wanting him to go to certain teams, i.e. Baltimore mainly, Um, very Ravens-like player. How, in your words, from what you've seen, how has Davis been and how are they using him? Is he only a a purely primary down guy? In other words, is he a a specialty player or do you think he's going to be a a, a three-down player in this league? No, he's going to be a three-down player. I think he's going to be a game wrecker. I think if it wasn't for... I would say Howie Roseman trying to be respectful of Fletcher Cox. He probably played 45% of the snaps. I think when he's in the game, they do a better job of stopping the run. He starts most games. So that's like every game they start out with five D linemen. He'll start in the middle with a three, four look. Um, His snaps are increasing. So I think it's a situation where you're trying to be respectful to Fletcher Cox while also keeping him fresh as well. So I think you'll see Davis play more. You'll see Dave, you'll see Fletcher Cox play less, but you'll see Cox play more on third down and on crucial down. So I think you'll get a big balance of both. Do you feel, especially coming off a of bye, that the theme is, it has been on this show and I think in Pittsburgh the last couple of weeks, they're playing somebody that has the opportunity for a, a get-right game. Tampa Bay wasn't able to do it. Miami finally got – uh, their their quarterback situation figured out the first game in a month that they played in which their quarterback was able to, to go all four quarters. Philadelphia doesn't need to get right in this game, but they're coming off a bye. They're, they're pretty loaded. Do you feel like um, they're – talk about offensively. Do you feel Philadelphia uh, has the capability of just controlling this entire game? Do you see anything from Pittsburgh that, that gives them uh, any type of advantage? I do. I think just the, the, the structure, the defensive structure, the way you play, you got the way the Steelers play defense. It's not necessarily a four-three look. So I think from that standpoint, you can kind of hide coverage. You can hide, you can kind of hide your blitz. I think the best thing you could do is to bring pressure. Um, Hertz is a pretty good quarterback, but he's not a guy you really want rolling to his left. So I think the situation where the Steelers may bring pressure from his right and force him to roll left as a passer at that point. He's more likely to keep the ball. So I think it's a, it's about pressuring him while controlling the rush, the rushing lanes and making making him become this accurate, efficient passer that we're all unsure if he could be when he was drafted. So from that standpoint, I think just keeping him in the pocket, making him make quick decisions, making him roll to the left, and then at that point, you have a ball game. Do you feel, it, I, I guess, probably a two-part question here. Uh, okay. One of the main issues... Philadelphia wanted to correct this offseason was a defense that didn't make plays and gave up a lot. Not a great defensive showing last season. Um, how far around that corner do you feel they've turned? And do you feel this is uh, the, the type of game for them that they're going to be able to, to thoroughly dominate, not let an opponent into the 20s, not let teams back into games? Do you think they can just own this from snap the whistle? Not necessarily. It's a it's a pretty good unit, but we're, we're look. We're, I don't think we're giving the Steelers, especially that trio of pass catchers, enough credit. And I think if they can 
hold up up front and if Kenny Pickett gets the chance to to make the throws that he needs to throw to, to make to make the throws that he needs to make it could become an interesting afternoon I think the matchup you'll want to see is Claypool and Avante Maddox you know I think from the the film that I've watched Claypool has played more in the slot this year so I think that's a situation that could become a bit nerve-wracking because he's a bigger wide receiver he gave Maddox fits the first time they met when Claypool was a rookie so I think from that standpoint being able to run the ball opens things up for you guys and then that trio of pass catchers will probably be the best trio they faced all year. So I think from that standpoint, it's something to watch. And I don't necessarily think that it'll be a blowout like everyone is saying. That's that's bold. Um, <clears throat> I'm taking the Eagles uh, uh, <laughs> minus 10, minus 10 and a half, whatever it is this morning. Um, and that's tough, though. I mean, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier. The Steelers are not a team uh, that goes lightly. It's hard to kill the Steelers. Right, uh, where they stand, not hard to beat them. It's hard to kill them, and they're they're not a team um, that's giving up, even when they're they're getting as bad a, a, a beating as they'll have all year. I mean, I guess against Buffalo didn't really work out so well, but um, it battled hard against Miami. Probably shouldn't have happened that way. We've seen Steelers teams, especially lately, lose the game like they had against Tampa Bay. I mean, hell, they did it against the Jets a couple weeks ago. They lost that game against the Jets. Got a little bit better. Um, I'm not top to bottom optimistic, but before uh, before we get you out of here, let, let's uh, let's go with a prediction here. Um, give me a score and who's winning this game. I've been going back and forth. I think you don't. I, I feel like you're not. The people aren't giving the Steelers enough credit, and I feel like it's a situation where, based off of the Eagles, they haven't killed anyone. So they're six and zero. Oh. They destroy teams in the second quarter, but then we'll have situations where we we'll go a whole half or a whole quarter without scoring. So I think from that standpoint, it can be a big concern, and especially coming off the bye. I think it's just, you'll see a situation where when worse comes to worse, they'll just fall back to the running game, pace, RPO, and things like that. So I think you'll see a close game. I think it'll be closer than the experts think, and I think you'll see the Eagles pull away late 24-17. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, I read this in kind of a mirror opposite fashion, because you're right. They're not a team that's going out and destroying people in terms of the score, but you watched that Minnesota game. That was never close. 24 to seven, it may as well have been 48 to seven. I mean, Philadelphia completely and thoroughly dominated that game. They just don't do it in a way that looks like it in the final score. And then that's on top of 24 to eight next week against Washington. I think anybody can show up and beat Washington nowadays. So I think... I, I said this earlier as well. I, I see Philadelphia as being one of the better, if not the best, on-script offensive team in the league. I think it, it raced to 10 points. If we're betting on that, it's easily Philadelphia. I think it'll be 10 nothing, um, probably in the first quarter. Um, it, Pittsburgh doesn't start off particularly well. I think they lean on that the rest of the way. But you're right. It, it's not a big strike team. They have the, the playmaking ability to do that, but they don't they don't play that way. They're not looking to, to run 80 plays a game. Um, a lot of RPO and it's not as if they don't use tempo, but they're not going to just rush into things and, and, you know, run bad plays, very efficient uh, with what they're doing. They're not a volume based team, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I see them being able to score though, just because they are that efficient um, and have that many quality players in the team. Um, Miami jumped to a 10 nothing lead against Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football last week and really did nothing the rest of the way. Philadelphia would not have done that. I think they could have put another two touchdowns on the board minimum. Um, I, I'm thinking something around – they're at home coming off a bye. I'm thinking 
31-16 Eagles. Um, a very, very hard, very hard to take uh, to take the Eagles to cover that. But um, I'm going back on it, Glenn. I'm, I'm waffling. I'm waffling. What is it, though? Are the Eagles going to score less or are the Steelers going to score more? Because how do you pick the Steelers to score more than 16 points a game right now? It's impossible to do that. I think if they spent the bye week improving their tackling, then the things you were saying are true. But I think they're coming off a week. I think it'll take, you know, again, that's a whole week of getting that whole bit of momentum and pace revved back up. You're talking about a Sunday game at one o'clock. You're talking about an in-state rival. So we'll see. You you have Philly's hype. So that's that's what gives me pause. So I can I can see the things you're saying, but I see a Steelers defense that's not going to just let them run rough shot over them. So that's the point where I, that's where you get the pause and the woods. It's, it's going to be pace and different things like that. But the ability to just run you guys out of the building, I don't see that. I'd be shocked if that happened. I'm changing mine. I'm going to go 27-17 Eagles. I'm going to put it right at that that 10 right. mark. Like I think they um, pull away late, start slow. Yeah. Foggy Sunday, one o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of a, a doldrum type of game. Um, fearless leader Lance Williams also picking the Eagles. He's got them covering minus 11, which is, I believe, what the spread was yesterday. Um, Eagles win 28 to 13. So not a whole lot of optimism here uh, for the black and gold. But um, similar to the Jaguars score and a couple other scores they've had where they, you know, they get out to a big lead or whatever or they, they get points later. But in terms of just blowing a team out or blasting them out, that hasn't been the case. So it'll be yep. a situation where we'll work to see if offensive, offensively it picks up in the second half and things of that nature. Yep, I agree with that. But uh, it, thanks for your time, Glenn. I appreciate it. Um, Glenn Irby, the Eagles Wire on the USA Today Sports Media Group, NFL Wire Network. Fantastic job, Glenn. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, Neil. Thank you. We're going to wrap it up here, the solo show for today. This has been the New Standard Podcast. I am Neil Kulong. I am standing in for our fearless leader, Lance Williams, who is out on assignment trying to find Najee's mojo in and around the Bay Area, his hometown. Thank you all for listening in. Just to give you a heads up, we are going to go live uh, pretty much immediately following Sunday's game. Win, lose, tie whatever we're going to be here uh please feel free to come back bring your questions your comments your concerns it's teeth gnashing sunday most likely all three of the people polled this week have the eagles winning this game but weirder things have happened this is why we're steelers fans so the new standard podcast tune in following sunday's game and please as usual tune in tell a friend and subscribe